Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Los 102.3 FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Um, now today we have a, an incredible guest. Um, we're really glad that she's decided to take the time to come on the show. We've talked about this case and um, and had Marcia Clark and all sorts of people involved in it. And uh, um, by far, this will be the uh, the most important interview. Um, so who we have with us on the line is Kim Goldman. Thank you for talking with us. Oh, thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Wow. So um, it's been 25 years now since your uh, brother was murdered. Um, it's, it, so at this point in your, in your, in your life, um, how, do you, how do you look back on the whole thing, uh, an overall view of, of how the trial was handled, um, and what you think um, was representative of your brother? Um, well, I, I, I guess I would say um, that I try to separate that a little bit because I don't think that the overall trial was a representation of my brother. Uh, my brother was not very well um, acknowledged. Um, in that case, um, he was always just referred to as, as the friend or the other victim. Um, but I think that what this, the trial and, and the subsequent, you know, information that we've learned after the fact, the civil case, et cetera, um, I think really is just sort of the, um, you know, demonstrates the injustice in our country. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about race and, and celebrityism and, um, 
you know, just how things went wrong in that case. And then I also get to talk about my brother being a hero. So I think those two things are separate. So, you know, when we go back to the time, how old were you and uh, what was going on in your life uh, when the murders happened? Uh, I was 22. Um, I was 22 and a half, probably. Um, I was living in San Francisco, uh, finishing up my schooling, uh, and I was working uh, full-time at Wells Fargo Bank and doing an internship at a psychiatric hospital um, and applying for grad school or just starting to apply to grad school. What were you, what were you wanting to graduate in? Psychology. Um, I was one of those weird kids that uh, knew exactly what she wanted to be at six, um, and I always wanted to be a, um, a child psychologist. Um, I benefited so much from, from therapy growing up that I wanted to be able to do that for a career, so that's what I was working towards. So how did this murder impact that? Were you able to complete your degree? Did you, did you ever go back into that field, or did you change totally? Um, I, I did not finish. Uh, I did not continue down that path at the time. Um, I focused my attention on, on my brother and, and what was needed um, in, in Los Angeles at the time. Um, and then I ended up in a couple of weird jobs after that um, and then found my way back into nonprofit life. Um, and so I was working for a, a handful of organizations that worked with people um, uh, with autism. And then I, I, I ran an organization called Best Buddies for a long time, which worked with people with developmental disabilities. Um, and then now I've been uh, running an organization called the Youth Project that provides um, free mental health um, to teenagers, and I've been here since 2005. So I did make my way back years later, um, so I get to work with kids now and help them deal with depression and suicide and grief and hmm. domestic violence and such, so I was able to make my way back. Well, that's, that's, that's important. Um, now, I, I have to ask, um, you've been out talking and, and doing your podcast and stuff, and, and one of the comments that came out was, was of course, by, by Oprah, and some of the others even, I've heard this, and, and, and Oprah asked, I remember, why don't you move on for you? Um, how do you respond to that? Um, the same way I did all those years ago when she said that uh, to me, which is, how do you expect me to do that? Um, you know, we don't have complete control over what the media does. We don't have complete control over what the killer does. And because he still commands so much attention, um, I'm left on the receiving end of that. And so even if, even if, even if in theory or in my fantasy world I wanted to have a, have a killer-free existence in my life, um, I don't get to do that because he is who he is. And uh, I just have to figure out ways to compartmentalize it and figure out ways to not let it suffocate me um, and that takes a lot of energy to do that and sometimes I choose to engage in it and sometimes I don't it doesn't mean it's not out there um, the rest of the world can turn off turn off the TV and choose not to participate uh, but it's it's part of me and it's attached to me so I have to figure out a way to deal with it yeah well that's kind of, it's kind of kind of offensive in a way it's kind of a um, just to even ask that um, it changes well, but your I, life I, but I but I think, I think, you know, the, the term move on, um, you know, insinuates that you put something behind you, that you've, that you've, you know, you've gotten over it or, you know, that, that's, that's what that phrase sort of means. Um, mm -hmm. For me, I move forward um, and sometimes I move left and sometimes I go backwards and sometimes I go right because that's kind of how grief works. Yeah. It's not linear um, and um, I'm trying to 
honor my grief and my loss and, and, and what we've experienced as a family and, and um, it's going to look different for me than it does for other people and I, I wish that that was more respected than judged. Yeah. And, and, and now, so how, how does that happen now? How do you choose and trust people that you meet and how do you, you know, like dating or any of that stuff, how, <laughs> how can you analyze that? Um, I don't. I don't do a very good job. That's why I'm so single. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, you know, it's hard. It, I, 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 my therapist used to tell me how trusting, uh, he, he's surprised I'm still so trusting after, after all that I've experienced in my life. I think that as I've gotten a little older, um, I think my guard has gone up a little bit more than when I was younger, partly because I don't have the energy to deal with other people's BS sometimes. Um, and, uh, I, I just, I, I do have a, a, a fear of being, taken advantage of or, um, you know, not being seen for who I am. And so um, I think I see things through a different lens than I did when I was younger. But I'm, I'm trying. It's a work in progress, as I, as I hope I always am for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you've ta- you guys took ownership of the book, If I Did It, and you made some changes and stuff. Was well, that part of the lawsuit? Is that sort of why you were doing that? Um, yeah, I, I want to be careful with the took ownership. We were ordered um uh, to take ownership of the book, so I, that's a little nuance, but I think mm-hmm. it's important because we didn't want the book published um, when we first heard about it, um, and we definitely didn't want him to benefit from it, which he did. Um, and so when that happened, because he still, you know, is is ordered to pay a civil judgment, um, our attorneys levied or put a lien on the book um, and on the company that owned the book. Um, it was a shell company that he created to funnel funds through it so we couldn't find it. He, he the killer, um, put that company into bankruptcy. The only asset of that was the book. The judge ordered us to monetize the book um, in order to pay off the bankruptcy um, fees and the debt that he owed. Um, so it's a little tricky there. Um, but once we did acquire the rights to the book, um, we were ordered to publish it. So we did sort of have to embrace it and rewrite it as a confession at that time. And, and that's that was the platform we we did it on hmm. and you know you've never really received uh, any part or very little of the 33 million awarded yeah so the 33 and a half million uh, was awarded between the estate for nicole brown and my dad my our family um and it has grown over time because it it adds interest every year so i think our portion to date is like in the eighty million something range, um, but no, we've been unsuccessful in our pursuit. Um, it's, he's very much insulated by the law and um, by what he is required to pay. Um, he's very much protected, and um, the civil system doesn't really afford any resources to people trying to collect on their judgments. Can you tell us a, li- a little bit about your brother? What would what would you want people to know? Um. You know, I, I every day is a little bit different on the memories I have um, uh, of him because they, they present themselves at times where I need them. So, um, you know, I think uh, my brother was such a champion for others and was such a, um, a, a lover of life and just embraced everything around him in such an optimistic way. Um, I think I, I, I pull from that a lot because it's important for me to maintain some optimism in my life. Um, but my brother, I think... You know, who he was in his last couple minutes, I think, demonstrates exactly who he was. He was a fierce protector. Um, he, you know, he 
was loyal to the end. Um, you know, he fought to try to protect his friend and protect himself, and I think that's a pretty heroic act, and I think that's what I'd want people to remember of him and, and just how much he's missed and loved by his family. What, what was he planning at that time when he got murdered? Um, my brother was uh, 25, just uh, two weeks two weeks shy, um, three weeks shy of his 26th birthday, and um, was uh, wanting to present my dad with a business plan for uh, a restaurant that he wanted to open um, in the shape of an onk, which is the tattoo that he had and the necklace that I wear of his. Um, he was, you know, wanted to, to be a business owner, you know, I mean, he had been fumbling through his life a little bit and, and trying to figure out what was important to him and what his purpose was, and, and he kind of came into it, you know, later, and, and he had investors and had business plans and a design for his company, and, and that's where he, that was the next step he was planning to take and wanted my dad's support and backing. So now, when you when you go back to the trial, um how, where do you think it went wrong? Like, who do you do you blame anybody in particular? Um, I uh, I do. I I, I think I, I I place blame with the killer um, first and foremost. Um, but I I think that that Judge Ito lost control of the courtroom, and I think that in doing so created a chaotic atmosphere um, so that everything was. Up, up for grabs, um, and I think that the jury fell for that hook, line, and sinker. And, and no matter what the prosecution did or what evidence we had, um, I, I don't think that they um, were willing to see it. I, I, and I don't know exactly how and why that happened, but um, you know, I talked to two of the jurors on the on the podcast, and they explained it a little bit. And um, you know, they just they they didn't see the case and the evidence for, for what we did and for what we believe it proved. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know what would have changed their minds, if anything, and I don't know what we could have done differently to alter the outcome. Did you find... By we, I say the prosecution. Right. Did you find one of the jurors that uh, thought it was a conspiracy? Um, yeah, we... Uh, he, he, they believe that... that there was something nefarious going on, but in, in you know, in the police department, and that there was a the possibility that things could have been planted or conspired against um, the killer. Um, I don't find any evidence of that. I don't think many people do. I think it seems more unreasonable than reasonable that an entire police force would would band together to try to frame an innocent person, or to, as one says, maybe frame a guilty person. Um, when you have a mountain of evidence, there's really no reason to continue to do that. Um, but they yeah. dismissed it anyway. Especially with the timeline, uh, it's it's very bizarre how they would have had to go about planting that evidence. Well, and it just doesn't make any logical sense. I mean, they had no idea if if the killer had an alibi. They didn't know if he was dead or if he was alive. They had no idea anything about him, and they were going to conspire to plant and frame him. Um, and, and for why? They revered him. They loved him. They got autographs and pictures with him. I mean, why would they do that? It just and why would they risk their careers and their pensions and their reputations for what? Why? Doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about having OJ on your podcast? Um, yeah, it's part of the process. Um, it was, it was, uh, you know, part of, part of, you know, the, the the name of the show is confronting him, and 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 part of that is 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 him in theory too. Um, you know, so that if if he didn't end up being on, which I don't know that I ever thought that he did, it was it's the process, it's confronting all of it, it's the case, it's the trial, it's the witnesses, it's the grief, the domestic violence, it's the loss, it's 
you know, the, the public perception. Um, and if, if he was courageous enough to want to be able to sit down, then, then I was open to do that. Um, I just don't know that I thought in my heart that he would. Yeah. Didn't you try to see him once when he was in jail in Vegas or? I did. I, it was important for me, uh, you know, the, um, to, to, to see him behind bars. Um, you know, the last time I saw him, we both walked out of a courtroom together and, and, uh, so when he was, you know, put in prison um, or in jail for the crimes that he committed, I was I was wanting to kind of shrink him in size um, to make it a little bit more manageable, the space that he had taken up in my brain, um, and to be able to me be able to walk out of out of there and have him sit behind and and you know have his freedom taken from him. Um, but I, I I pursued that fiercely, uh, got close, um, but then wasn't willing to sign the the contract, um, the agreement, the way that it was presented to me. What, did they, they wanted a no disclosure agreement or something? Yeah, his attorney, um, Yale Galanter at the time, we had a couple of conversations and um, I appreciated his candor with me, um, but by the end, you know, he, he asked me to agree. The, only, the, the condition was I would have to agree to sign an, a, a non-disclosure agreement and I, I just wasn't willing to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous because then he could have, you know, he could have said anything to you, right? He could of course, have... and that's why they wanted me to, to sign an agreement. They were concerned about that. Oh, concerned. He's he's not a very good talker. So, uh, what's your opinion on all that? Oh, you know, the Twitter account and 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 the way he talks about he has people to get even with and 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 all of that stuff. Um, it's it's uh, it's hard. I you know, going back to what you said, you know, the comment about moving on. I mean, I very difficult to be going through my life as a as a single mom and a business owner and trying to you know ha- have some some sense of new normalcy going on and then be interrupted by that that nonsense um it's painful because you know when he talks and his mannerisms all i'm looking at is the person that stabbed my brother to death and it's very hard to reconcile how those two things can happen in the same lifetime and so um you know, it's it's gross. Uh, it's disgusting to me. Um, but he is well within his rights to do it, and I can't stop that. Um, I love that people go on and, and remind him constantly that he's a double murderer. I get some pleasure out of that. Mm-hmm. And and did you know the killer before the crime? No, I had no idea who he was. Oh, so you didn't you didn't even have an idea. Mm-mm. What's no. your th- what's your thought on death penalty? I I support the death penalty. Um, I never used to because I was, uh, you know, psych background and thought everybody could be rehabilitated. <laughs> but um, when this happened, um, I changed my mind. I, I do understand the flaws in the system. I don't, I don't support the death penalty system as it stands today, um, but I do support the theory behind it. I wish that we would um, tighten it up. I think we, I wish we could get better at. I think it's just a waste of money to put people on death row now. I don't think it really carries the weight. And the purpose behind it, but I, I certainly yeah. believe in the in the concept of it. Would you be able to do it? But would I be able to do it? Yeah. I mean, with, if, with, if you, yeah, with with the killer, if 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 you were given the button to push, a hundred percent, hundred percent, a hundred percent. He right. brutally stabbed two people to death. He nearly yeah. decapitated his wife. He stabbed my brother in the heart, the thigh, the the lung jugular vein um what he did to those two people innocent people on that night is is unforgivable and 
deserves to be met with the same torture. Especially because your family was thrust into the middle of something so public. Um, it, it, your grief was public. Your the scene of I just remember you and your father together uh, when the uh, verdict was read, and it just tore my heart out. I mean, you and I are a similar age. I'm kind of in between uh, you and your brother in age, and I just saw what it did did to your family was just heartbreaking well and and i appreciate that i think you know um loss is is painful um and uh, you know it looks different for everybody grief is different for everyone i think what was hard for us is that it was on the public stage and Mm -hmm. and you know we were doing it under the scrutiny of of a country and and in some ways that was great because it gave me an opportunity to share my big brother and, and to share my dad and our bond and, and that that's amazing because I'm super proud and of them and, and I was raised by great people um, but in the same vein it, it really uh, it, it created a lot of emotion for a lot of people from the other side and there and there's been a lot of hate and there's been a lot of um, anger towards us um, and that's been hard to reconcile too because we just were kind of dumped off into this world that I, I was you know I, I didn't expect and couldn't prepare myself for, and not just anybody should ever. But um, you know, it's 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 polarizing and it's isolating, and uh, you know. Mm. But for the most part, people have been very supportive and, and very loving, um, and I'm I'm grateful for that. Was there any help offered to you and your family to to deal with this? Not not just the the grief and and the loss, but being thrust into the public eye. Um, in what way? In what way do you mean? Uh, I mean by you know, say the prosecution or oh. what, whatever. So um, when the when the crimes happened, um, we were assigned a victim advocate from the district attorney's office, which mm. um, should be available to every crime uh, um, crime victim across the country. It isn't always, um, but we were we were assigned a, a victim advocate, Mark Arenas, and and uh, he was able to kind of walk us through the process and be there for us both emotionally and physically, and kind of explain how this was all going to go down and we became you know mark and i became very close but then because of you know the elements of the the case being so high profile we we became very close to the prosecution team and and i had a lot of access to them um but we tried all of the other avenues of support too with support groups and therapy and um i I waited some time to do that because at the time of my brother's murder i wasn't really open and ready to that um but there are a lot of resources available people just need to know how to find them you had a lot of responsibility as well. Your, your father seems like a really good man, um, you know, kind of a stand-up guy, and uh, uh, he was devastated as well. And um, you had to take care of the funeral and and everything, if I'm right. Um, yeah, I, you know, it wasn't. It, you know, watching my dad. Um, you know, he he was broke. Um, I mean, both of us were. I just, I think I. We had to get the funeral arrangements done. Someone had to do it, you know. So we, I, we took family, uh, friends of the family, and and you know my dad and, and my stepmom, and and you know we just my dad just couldn't bring himself to make decisions. He was just completely consumed with grief and shock. And I remember my dad just constantly saying, "It should be me. It should be me." Him, um, you know, and I. That's like just left such an indelible mark on my heart um and watching my dad suffer so greatly um it just 
you know, it's painful to see that. And um, our roles have changed over the years, um, but we are still tight as can be. And, um, you know, we share so much love and, and for each other and for my brother. And, and uh, you know, he's my, he's my touch. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You talk about your brother, Ron, as a hero. Um Maybe, um, I, I guess what I'm thinking of is probably from the car accident when you were 14. Yeah, you know, I we were in, in Florida. Uh, my dad was dating his now wife, but his girlfriend at the time, and, and uh, they were taking us back to our hotel, and a drunk driver um, was coming down the other side of the street, and his tire blew, and he hit a tree in the median, and, and in that process, the battery from the drunk driver's car came out and across the median into our car um, and blew up in my face and I suffered first, second, and third degree acid burns and my stepmom had uh, some acid brush across her face as well. Um, my brother pulled me from the car. Um, my dad, you know, obviously was looking for help and running around taking, grabbing Patty and my brother grabbed me and pulled me to the side and, um, you know, again, your instincts of, his instincts of being a protector, um, you know, just right there in that moment too and he sat with me in the hospital as my dad did and um you know just sat vigil with me and and uh 
you know, he just, I never, never left his side and, and I'm so grateful for that. And he was, you know, again, so optimistic in that moment trying to crack jokes. I mean, my face was mutilated and charred and, and my brother's still in there trying to make me see the silver lining. Right. And that carried through to the night um, that he was murdered. What do you think happened actually that night? Uh, I, I think that my brother walked into a, a scene where Nicole was being attacked by the killer and, and I think he ran to try to stop it and got in the middle of it and um, you know he, the killer pushed Nicole down and she hit her head on the stoop um, the step and had a confusion on the back of her head that's why we believe that and then um, the killer attacked my brother and um, stabbed him and uh, five fatal wounds over 30 defensive wounds and left him for dead Yeah, so he was. and he then was... went back and killed Nicole yeah, he was trying to protect her at the time. That's that's my belief. My brother was dropping off um, glasses that Nicole's mom had left at the restaurant that he worked at that Nicole and her family ate at earlier in the evening. And um, I know lots of people want to attach um, <laughs> some kind of importance to my my brother being the one to do that. And um, but my brother had plans that night, and um, you know he was. They were friends, as far as I know, and that was the extent of that. Yeah, there was a lot of gossip about him having mm-hmm. an affair with her, but he actually had. But she a wasn't girlfriend. married, right? Yeah, and she wasn't married. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That little minor fact that doesn't make it an affair, and and let's pretend they were. Let's pretend they were in an intimate relationship. That doesn't warrant being stabbed to death. No, no, this is terrible. Uh, now you didn't know about the murder uh, for a while, did you? How long did it take before you were notified? So the murders happened on June 12th, and the news broke on the 13th. Um, and my dad uh, had the notification made to him um, at about 5 o'clock on that Monday. Um, so it was on the news all day. Uh, and my dad was a salesman at the time and in his car a lot, and he had been listening to the news all day um, about Nicole Brown Simpson and uh, another person being stabbed to death in Brentwood. Uh, so at about 5 o'clock when he received the call from the coroner, um, uh, that's when he was alerted and within a couple, maybe a minute of them making that call to my dad um, my brother's face was plastered all over the news um, I did not hear until about 6.30 um, I was working at the time and, and didn't get home until around 6.30 and that's when my dad told me mm. well, uh, the, Now, how did you deal with the verdict and the verdict celebrations and the people that were cheering when um, the killer got off? Um, I hibernated <laughs> a little bit. Um, I think uh, I, I I went to the gravesite. I wanted to be with my brother. Um, I was felt very um, disappointed and betrayed by the system and by the jury. Um, I I was obviously shocked and and um, angry. Um, it didn't make any sense, and still doesn't make sense to me on on some levels. Although I've gotten better at being able to understand it differently now. Um, but it's hard. I mean, it's hard that that the person that stabbed my brother to death, who I believe wholeheartedly did it, um, and and killed Nicole, is, has his freedom and is walking the streets. That's really hard to reconcile. And, and I'm not any different than a lot of other families that have the same experience or that don't even have the opportunity to go to trial. Their cases are, are cold. You know, so um, it's just there's no way to explain it. You're just always on hyper alert. Yeah. Now, I have to say, um, now, Johnny Cochran, um, now he's passed since then, um, but 
he, he said something pretty awful after the verdict, didn't he? He, you know, I, I misspoke um, at, at one point in some interview. Um, he didn't say gotcha. He looked at me. He mouthed it. It was what I interpreted from the smirk um, that he and the killer both had when they looked at me in the in the in the in the courtroom. Right. Um, he did not blurt it out. Um, I I didn't say that, but it, it got misconstrued to what happened. Um, okay. But you know, again. Uh, I, I locked eyes. I know what I know what the feeling was. I know what the 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 insinuation was. They smirked at me, um, and then they mouthed it. That's my memory of it. Um, but it's, it's neither here nor there at this point. Caused a lot of stress for you as well. I I I think that um, with the um, Vegas arrest when he got put in jail, um, I think you mentioned that it took away a lot of your stress. Um. It, it did. Uh, uh, I think, um, you know, when I, I don't think I realized how much um, I was not burdened with some of that anxiety until he was released back. Um, because when he was released back, I felt like anxious again. And I don't think I had realized truly how much um, stress relief it was for him to be behind bars. I mean, I, over time, I started realizing, oh, I don't have to deal with it as much. But it wasn't until he was released back to the community, I thought, oh, God, I had a break from this for nine years. Um, but, you know, even from behind bars, he was still able to create attention for himself. Um, but it was it was, it was was a reprieve for a short period of time to be able to, to have a small sense of, of normalcy be returned. Hmm. I tell you... Um... I just can't believe what you've been through. Um, in your now, what's your podcast about? Uh, confronting O.J. Simpson, of course, but um, you have a lot of guests on. You've had Marsha Clark and Darden and all that. Meeting them have has meeting them changed your opinion of of them from before? Um, no, I don't think it's changed my opinion. I think that. Um, I, I think the, the sole purpose for me um, to have conversations was to, to get some understanding and, and to extend some compassion um, for people that walked a very um, similar path, but just you know different than mine. But we were all kind of conjoined to this case, and I think each of us you know dealt with it differently, and, and how it manifested in our lives um, was interesting to me. I mean, you know. We talked to Cato Kalin, and, and I know that the world likes to think of him as a, as a goofball, um, but he's just a down-to-earth guy that was sucked up in something just like the rest of us were and how it impacted his life. I know that he's gone on to do some fun things for himself from a professional standpoint, but, but it really impacted him. He had death threats, and, and you know, he hibernated, too. He, he, it, it, it impacted his personal life deeply, as it did with everybody that was involved with the case. That was an important um, discussion for me to have with people. Um, I think we forget the personal sacrifice um, of Marsha Chris and, uh, and Bill Hodgman, the other prosecutor, um, and I think those are important conversations to have. What, what about yourself? Have you ever had any uh, negative comments about yourself directly or email, telephone calls from crazy people who support the killer? All the time. Uh, all the time. Uh, and I've certainly reported... <laughs> A number of threats because um, it's super scary um, to have people um, be so angry and to be so threatening. Um, I, I, it's troublesome to me, but I understand it. Um, I, 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 
I, I guess I understand it. Um, I try to keep most of it at bay. Sometimes I can't help myself, but I engage um, sometimes because I, I'm human. Um, I do try to. I know. Um, I, I try to. Be, it's hard it's not, hard to, not to. the trolls. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Um, and, you know, some days I'm better at it than others. And, and, you know, for the most part, I think I do a pretty good job of, of you know, riding the high road. Um, but I can't help it. I, I get. It's harder for me when people go after my dad and my brother. Um, I, I don't let those go by um, without comment. Um, but most of the time, I just know it's somebody else's. I, it's somebody else's stuff. It's not about me. It's about them. And if this, if people have enough energy and, and time in their life that they can seek out a complete stranger to talk about hurting them or, or wishing violence upon them, then that's more about them than it is about me. And I need to let that be. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we get that all the time, but not 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 near on your level. That's for sure. It's uh, I just get accused of working for the government. Um, now, now, now you being in the psych major and doing all of that stuff, do you think OJ ever had any remorse, or do you think he believes the story he says? Like, what's your professional opinion of that kind of a killer? I think he's he's the you know. The, the straight up narcissist. I think he's a psychopath, and I think that he is. He he doesn't have the ability to show remorse. Um, I think that's been demonstrated by everything that he's done. I mean, even when he wrote the confession, I, if I did it, I mean, he there's no remorse in any of that. In the in the interview that he did afterwards, talking about it, I mean, he is he is void of that, um, and that's quintessential psychopathic behavior so um but i am not a killer i'm not a psychopath i don't know how you function in that world um but for someone that you know quote unquote claims that he didn't do it he certainly doesn't uh, behave like like a not guilty person um and for someone that claims he didn't do it why why doesn't he look for the person that did why isn't that important to him why isn't it important to him to to get justice for his wife the mother of his children for some random stranger that tried to save his ex-wife's life i mean there's just nothing in his in his behavior that leads me to think he's anything but guilty we see those memes of him playing golf and underneath it says i'm looking for the real killer kind of thing it's disgusting yeah yeah um yeah um, I, as a podcaster myself, I listen to your podcast um, every week um, when you were doing it, and I loved it. It was fantastic. Do you feel like you achieved what you wanted to achieve with the podcast? Um, I, I think so. I'm still uh, kind of decompressing, um, and we have a you know few bonus episodes that are still coming out. Um, so I, I think I'm still kind of in it. Um, I'm trying to figure out where it fit and, and what I'm still yearning for. Um, but I, I think, again, what was important for me is to, is to talk to the people that were involved and to, and to, to reiterate the, the truth and the facts behind what happened. I think there's a whole new generation of people that are, that are learning about this case through uh, a fictionalized lens, um, through, you know, conspiracy and, and and cockamamie ideas about what happened that night, and it was important for me to try to lend a, a, a truthful narrative to the conversation because I think that's been getting lost over the years, and to bring it back to victims and survivors of domestic violence and grief and loss and recovery. Uh, we don't like to talk about those things because they're not very sexy. So um, I thought it was important to have open dialogue, and, um, and that was probably the most important part for me of the whole podcast. 
do you, do you did, have you seen any portrayals when you talk about um, the the shows and the movies and the miniseries and stuff, the FX series and all that? Have you seen any good representations of what happened that with the killing and all that? Um, no. no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I should say no. I should say from the fictionalized version, there's been lots of incredible documentaries that have been done. Um, you know, I, I'm all about the, the, the facts. I don't think that we need to be dramatizing um, and fictionalizing something that was played out for the world to watch. I don't, I don't understand why that was done, um, and it was done without the involvement of any of the people that were there. Um, and while I appreciate that the FX show in some ways painted a picture of his guilt, um, it, it was done in such a way that I think sort of demeaned the importance of I mean brother and Nicole weren't even in it you know like uh, you know it wasn't important for them to show the crime I'm like I, what like how do you just dismiss them I don't you know and the fact that they didn't talk to anybody that was involved in the case um, I think they did a real disservice um, but it is what it is uh, and so I tried again just to focus on the facts and the evidence and, and to have that conversation rather than the, the fake phony conspiracy ones right well, that that happened a lot. I mean, in 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 essence, uh, Ron Goldman got left out of the a lot of people's conversations at the time. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's totally unfair. Um, and it still happens. You know, I mean, I, I think I think my dad and I've done a really good job of always making sure that we that we highlight my brother and and Nicole as the reason we were here to begin with. Um, I think over the years, it's the the media and, and the public has gotten a lot better with, you know, not Ron and Nicole is synonymous. You don't say one without the other. Um, every once in a while I will see uh, Nicole and her friend, the other victim, which is so surprising to me. Um, but it happens. Um, a couple months ago I saw it on the front of a magazine. Um, and it's just it's disappointing that for 25 years people still can't figure out how to say my brother's name. Yeah, yeah, truly. Um, one syllable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how are you guys now? How's the family now? Um, how's 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 life for you guys now? You know, we're we, we're plugging along. You know, um, uh, my dad is living in Arizona with his wife. My dad uh, volunteers at the police station there as a victim advocate. Um, my stepmom has three kids who are all married and have lots of kids, so there's lots of grandchildren and nieces and nephews around. Um, I have a near 16-year-old kid. Um, um, I run an organization, like I talked about, that provides free mental health. I sit on the, I'm the vice chair of the National Center for Victims of Crime, trying to make good in the world for victims and survivors. Um, I write, I speak, I do the podcast. Um, I, play, I do fantasy football. I'm a hockey fan. Like, you know, I'm just trying to function... <laughs> Trying uh, to function in the world, yeah. So Canadian, Canadian here. Hawk, ho you mentioned hockey. So I know, Blackhawks. Sorry, yeah. Oh, I know. No. Sorry, Canucks. See, I'm, a I went to I'm Canucks fan. That's oh no. I I went to a Canucks game. I went up to Vancouver um, and I went to a Canucks game. It was amazing. I appreciate the sport. Uh, I was raised as a, a in Chicago, so I'm Blackhawks all the way, even in our down years. Um, but I'm also a basketball fan. My son plays basketball, so Bulls, Bulls, and Blackhawks. Blackhawks to the end, but I do appreciate how hard the Raptors. I mean, that was a tremendous yeah. win. Yeah. So I, I will give you that too. Yeah, there you go, Canada. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, well, well, Kim, it's been it's been a real uh, pleasure to talk to you, and it's, it's such a, a sad case, and, and we're really 
you know, what can we say? Terribly sorry <clears throat> for the life that you've had to, to deal with because of this, but um, I think you're doing a great job by podcasts and your books. And um, Now, if people want to get a hold of you, and nice people only, how, <laughs> how do they do that? Um, I, my website, uh, which I, I think I need to update a little bit, um, it's KimberlyGoldman.com, um, or on Twitter, Instagram, it's just or Facebook, it's Kim E. Goldman. Oh, you're doing Twitter? So. Are you crazy? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I do. I've, I'm I learn. I'm learning. Um, there's there's your memes. I, I'm to, I, they are. I'm, I'm I shy away um, because you know you. I, I'm frustrated. I can't have a. I can't have an opinion outside of my brother's case because people tell me to stay in my lane. But then when I talk about my brother's case, people tell me to get over it. So I, so I'm a little confused <laughs> on what my role is. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of feelings and thoughts, and and I want to be part of the conversation, but I don't want to be part of the the toxicity. So you know, got to yeah. pick and choose. Well, that must yeah. be really awkward uh, if you go out on a date now. Do you ever come across people that don't know you? Like have never. Yeah. Really. That's awesome. Yeah. I. Well, I think I I think part of it, you know, is it's out of context for people, um, you know, to to see. I mean, people, you know, they they look at you funny, you know, and they're not really sure why you look familiar. And I don't ever assume it's because of this, because I'm pretty active in my community, and you know, I go to the grocery store and I go to the dentist, and so I just assume that when people think they know me, it's because of that. Um, I can usually tell when it's from other reasons and so it just depends on where I'm at that day and what I disclose. Um, I don't usually give my last name. Um, I just introduce myself as Kim and you know just sort of you got to feel people out. I think over the years I've learned to have a radar about where people are at and what people know and and then I get to choose as to where I let them in and then once they know then it's a whole weird thing but yeah, that's a whole lot. I just could imagine, you know, you you meet a guy and you're on a date and they don't know who you are. Um, when do you tell them? Um, you know, it, it doesn't get to be a secret for very long because I'm a pretty honest person and um, it's hard to hide parts of my life because I do live a public life in some regard. And, um, you know, if I'm doing an interview or I'm promoting something, you know, it's hard to lie about that and I don't want to lie um, but usually I can tell when someone doesn't ask me about my family they know because um, that's a pretty quick question when you're starting to get to know someone, how are your family, where'd you grow up, do you have any siblings, you know, some people don't ask those things that's usually a tell um, that they know about my family, when they ask those things I'm like okay how am I going to broach this topic and then I just sort of feel it out and, um, and then there's a moment of silence and awkwardness and then a yeah. you know, a reaction and, and then it's who knows? You know, it's been, I've had people burst into tears and, and um, I've had people apologize that they didn't know. I've had people apologize for not, you know, for the verdict. I mean, it's just interesting. Um, and I've had people also not feel comfortable dating me because they feel like they can't, you know, rise to my standard or that, you know, there's a hero complex when it comes to, I don't know, be weird, yeah, but, you yeah. know, we all have baggage. Yeah. Mine just happens to be public sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little more seeable, I guess, you know, but, you know. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Wow. That's just incredible. Well, and there's also, there's a perception, I think, of me, too, that because most people have seen me very angry um, or crying, so therefore those are the only two things that people can see me as. Um, so uh, I probably overcompensate somewhere in there. Um 
uh, you know, trying to be strong and, you know, whatever that means. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a dance for sure. Yeah, always. Yeah. yeah. Well, we will have your um, website posted on ours as well as the uh, podcast, uh, Confronting O.J. Simpson, and so that people can uh, do one click and uh, find you and uh, nice people only. And Thank you. Yeah, and we really appreciate it. Thank you very much for, for talking you, about something. Um, Thanks Tim so Goldman much, is our Kim. guest. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. <laughs> The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.